Welcome to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. Boy, do we have an amazing interview for you. Darren Mulligan from We Are Messengers. This guy was so incredibly transparent. You're going to just love this. Uh, one of the most amazing things is his story about how he became a follower of Christ actually came about because of forgiveness that his wife gave him because of something that he did big time wrong to her. You're going to want to hang around for that. And by the way, if you enjoy today's interview, make sure you rate this or like it wherever you're seeing it, because that's going to help others see these stories and more and more people will be ministered to. So here we go. Our interview with Darren Mulligan from We Are Messengers. Thank you for having me. Tell me about you, your family. I always like to approach these like, yeah. Someone does never even heard of who you are. Uh-huh. Tell me about your family. I'm married to one woman, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's thanking too. She's thankful yeah, for that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, her name's Heidi. We have, uh, she's from Scotland. I'm uh-huh. from Ireland. We have four kids, three boys and a wee girl. Four kids? Four kids. I don't know why I thought I heard four kids and three boys. I'm like, wow. (laughs) No, no. So we both grew up with very different backgrounds. She obviously grew up in Scotland. I grew up in Ireland. We both grew up without God. My wife found God when I was dating her. Um, She led me to Jesus as a 27-year-old. And our lives were completely changed. I wish I was a very different man now than I thought I would be. When I started following Jesus, I thought I'd be a much better human than I actually am. You don't feel like you've progressed? I feel like I've progressed, but it's funny. There's an Irish song, it says, it doesn't matter how far we run, we all return to form. So he's talking about returning to form as in a horse, right? As in horse racing. And I was listening to it on the airplane a couple of days ago. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm a different horse. I'm not the same horse, but I still have a tendency to return to the same form that I had when I was without Jesus. And so I got a bit frustrated with myself, thinking, really, Jesus, 13 years of walking with you, and the progression has been very subtle and very slow at times. And he reminded me that his mercy is new every morning. And you see, the cool thing is, I mightn't be changing that much. I am, but not as much as I'd hoped. But the great news is that he never changes at all. Mm-hmm. And so the same mercy that was present 13 years ago was present today. And so my wife and I walk in that. We walk in this idea that our lives aren't about us. They're about a God who is greater than all of our petty insecurities and sin and feelings. And so we're kind of weird. We're, we're uh, strangers <laughs> in the promised land. There you go. That's the end of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Darren's weird. And we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that would be a, a true summation of the facts. Hey, I'm the king of weird, so I, uh, I'm all after it. I think it's fascinating that you just right away just kind of admit you're not where you think you should be with God. Where does that come from? Is it from a lack of contentment mm. or you're just more self-aware than a lot of people? Honestly, that's really good what you just said. Very few people would actually say that. Very few people would call or even ask that question. Yeah, lack of contentment. For yeah. sure, a great deal of insecurity, a great deal of heartache and baggage mm. and shame, but also a great understanding of the goodness of God and the joy that I have in Him at times and the hope that is in Him. My wife and I are incredibly self-aware, irritatingly so. Um, so why is that irritating? It's hard to develop really close friendships when you're self-aware all the time and when you're also aware of the room and you're aware of the atmosphere and so is it kind of like i know who i am should i really open up yes who i really am dang this is good yeah 
Is that what you... You know, I've listened to you for a long time in the radio and I've heard you talk and I hear you speak and, and the things you say. But that that is so concise and to the point. That, that's the call. Are we done again? No, we're not oh. done again. You can, <laughs> you can use that in your segue. But I think, for example, this. Yeah. One of the awkward things is that the Lord allows us to see the giftings and callings in people's lives. But while he allows us to see that, he also allows us to see the trauma and mm-hmm. the things that are hidden. And so he allows us to see those in ourselves too, which means that when I come in and you ask me, tell me about your family, we end up talking about this right. within three minutes. And I've been very candid this morning because at this point in my life, I have nothing to hide. I've just nothing to be afraid of in terms of my career or success. I dropped my son off at school this morning and my last words from were Elijah. What is a prophet a man? to gain the whole world if he loses his soul. And I said to him, do you think we should just go back to Ireland and start a farm and raise some animals and grow some vegetables and just live? It was a rhetorical question because I knew the answer was no. And the answer is no because God hasn't given us permission. God called us here to do this work. And it's been the greatest privilege of our lives, but has been the hardest thing we've ever done. And how we long for home, Mm. how I long for home, I'll say that, that's more honest. But what a privilege to say yes to Jesus sometimes when his yes has been so faithful to me and I've been so unfaithful to him. And so even though what is a profit a man to gain the whole world, uh, to lose his own soul, I've gained much in the world being here doing this as an artist, but I've lost a wee bit of my soul. And at this phase in my life, what we're doing with music and ministry, I'm getting it back because I'm realizing that the problem is not the success or the achievements or what you have. The problem is, what do you love? And I don't love those things. It doesn't have your heart. Not it's anymore. Not, it's not what you're after. You no, know. but it would have three years ago. Like, it definitely would have. And now it doesn't. And we feel dangerous again in a very Holy Spirit way. And, you know, we had a show the other night, some random state fair, some, I can't even tell you what state it was or where we were. And we're singing. Is that what happened when you just get in the road? I don't know where I am. Absolutely. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell you where I'm going in two hours. Wow. But when we get there, the Lord reveals his purpose and what the appointment's going to be. See, we're always mm. looking out for that opportunity. And um, Well, what is it today, God? And as a team, we're very focused on that. So we're playing the show. We're a rock and roll band. That's the truth. We're a very rowdy rock and roll band who are messy, broken, but who love Jesus as best as they can. There's a girl standing here. There's another girl beside her. There's a boy here. There's I think there was 3,000 people. It was packed. And playing the show, halfway through, I saw this girl smiling. She hadn't smiled the whole night. And it just got me all grainy, and I started laughing. And I stopped the show, and I said, listen, the fact that you're smiling is incredible, because you haven't smiled in a long time. And she started weeping. So you could just tell that there was something that she really had been dealing with depression or something. Yeah. We yeah. Just, I just, and again, it's not like I can read all the mail. I just, I've learned that it's better to look foolish and try and follow Jesus than try and look clever and not go anywhere with God. And so the cool thing happened. That's going to be a meme, right? It's going to. It's a t-shirt. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, you asked me to tell stories. Here we go. I promise you I'll keep this in quick. So the girl beside her, seemed pretty unmoved by things. And then she started crying three or four songs later. And it was a happy song, so I wasn't sure what was going on. Anyway, I knelt down in front of them, girl, girl, boy. And to the second girl who had started crying, God revealed something to me. And I get to it at the end of the story. But I said to her, what you need to do is be like Mary. When the angel told Mary that she had conceived and she was with child, and what would happen to this child, She treasured those things and stored them up in her heart. Mm -hmm. And she protected them because people have a habit of destroying beautiful things. 
all I said, but I knew why I was saying it. This girl was 18 years old. End of the show, wasn't supposed to meet people because of all the COVID stuff and all that. Anyway, I heard these three kids were out there. And so I went out and lo and behold, when I went out, there ended up in 300 people, but that wasn't the point. They were at the front. And I said to the young lady, the one on the outside, the second of the criers, I said, why are you crying? Now I knew why she was crying. She said, I'm engaged to be married to the fella who was a girl over. And she said, I'm pregnant and I feel ashamed. And she said, how did you know? And I said, imagine if God can have a very broken, messy, sinful man pull you out of a crowd and with one of the most beautiful scriptures in the world remind you that it's going to be okay. Mm. Imagine how much he really loves you. So I said, what are you going to do with your child? She said, we're going to have our baby, we're going to get married, and we're going to honor God. And I said, may it be so. So why do I love music? Because I get to see that every day of the week. I get to be a part of that. I'm a deeply flawed human being. I have many good characteristics. But I'm self-aware enough to know that I don't deserve the Lord to ever talk to me. Mm. I don't deserve his company. But the truth is, he doesn't just love me and you. He's fond of both of us. And if you're fond of someone, you will desire to be with them even at their worst. For me, it's the amazing awe that you have for the Lord mm. and reverence for him, knowing your place. And I don't know that we all think that way, mm. but uh, that's, that's profound. Talk to me about how you came to Jesus, how that went down. Well, you said it, and again, you're, I, you, you, I know we're about to hear something good. Well, I don't know. You, but you got, <laughs> you've got this prophetic gifting on you too. I can hear it every time. I came to Jesus because I eventually knew my place. So I had walked through atheism and adultery and seasons of drunkenness and arrogance and blasphemy and violence and all kinds of things. And my girlfriend at the time, Heidi, who's my wife, I was in America playing in a screamo rock band. Long story short, she fell in love with Jesus in a very radical way. He transformed her life completely. She was wrestling with depression and uh, eating disorders, uh, anorexia. She had a father who was wrestling with alcoholism. And then I was in America cheating on her. And it was a very weird thing. This was 20 years ago. And these two Brazilian girls called Daniela both invited her to church on the same day in the same church. And it was a really weird thing. And she went. Anyway, long story short, she fell in love with Jesus. I came home from America about a year later. I had no education because I dropped out of university. I had no money. I had no prospects. I had nothing going for me whatsoever. And she's this tall, blonde, beautiful, kind woman. And I was this short, kind of messy, drunken wreck of a man. And I walked into the kitchen in Dublin and I asked her to marry me. And I've told her this, and it's a hard conversation, but I told her I didn't ask you to marry me because I loved you. I just didn't know how to love anyone. I was so far. Mm -hmm. I was raised, I have wonderful parents. I was raised in a beautiful family, like. And I was taught good things and good morals, but good morals cannot keep a man. Good mm. things can't keep a man from himself, and they couldn't keep me. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And we're dancing around it in America these days. We're all in love with social justice, but mm. social justice without the Spirit of God is pointless. Yeah. It's do-goodery. And do-goodery always ends up in tragedy. Do-goodery. Wow. Do-goodery. I like that. I just made that up. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, so Are she, you suffering from do-goodery? <laughs> <laughs> so she, uh, she said yes. We made some choices in our lives about how we were living. Again, we were two relatively young folks who weren't Christians living together. So we were doing the things that, you know, you would do if you didn't know who God was. And we made choices about we would stop doing those things before we got married. I was an atheist, didn't believe God existed. But God started to honor the change in my actions. 
And uh, a few weeks before we got married, we went to a little church in Monaghan, my hometown in Ireland, um, a little Protestant church, which was strange for me because I grew up Catholic in a very sectarian place. But they had joy, like crazy joy. They were dancing and singing and jumping. And there was something really beautiful about it. Anyway, for a couple of weeks, probably three weeks, the pastor every Sunday night preached the same message. For God so loved the world. You're a sinner. You need redemption. And I, it all sounded nice, but I'm like, that's not for me. Like, this God thing is nonsense. And then one night, he said the same thing again. And my bones shook. They rattled inside my body. I'm telling you. Because for the first time in my life, I knew who I was. I knew how dirty, how wretched, how sinful I really was. I knew my place. And the place I deserved was death. But the gift of God is that he takes you from the place you deserve to a place of honor with him. And so I got to accept that, and I accepted that salvation. And a year later, first time God ever spoke to me, Michael. And that sounds weird, because that alienates people, because they're like, oh, God speaks to you, doesn't speak to me, my faith mustn't be strong. Mm. God primarily speaks through the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through yep. the word of God. Amen. But he spoke to me, and he said, go and tell your wife everything you've ever done. And I went home, and I told her of all these things. How did she react to that? It's a great question. You see, I thought... I guess the reason I, I ran so far from everything in my life was that I thought I could never be loved or forgiven. And so I expected her to push me away and call the marriage off and all right. this. But no, she put her arms around me. She said, I love you and I forgive you. Mm. Wow. And then I fell in love with God. Mm. I came because I knew my place and I knew he was giving me a different place. But I stay because I'm in love with God. The love that God shone right through her. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What she did was really amazing. I mean, we can all agree. She'd probably have the right to yeah. say, we're done. But <laughs> she would have. Yeah. She but, but that was all Jesus. That's amazing. But that's what he does. Like. And that's what made you go, oh, there's something different here. Yeah. So I guess for me, the, the transition between understanding something about God to being in a relationship with him, a lot of the time that comes through our interactions with each other. Right. Yeah. You know... Because until you see another human being forgive you, the forgiveness of God is never quite as real. Mm-hmm. You know, especially our enemies. Mm. And that's why I talk about this idea of God is fond of us because we can love our enemies by doing good deeds towards them, but always keeping them at arm's length because they're our enemies. Right. But fondness is a different thing. Mm. Fondness invites your enemies into your table. And that lines up with the scriptures because really fondness is kindness. And it is the kindness of God that draws men and women onto repentance. Mm. It is not the fury of some, you know, CCM artist preaching. Yep. It is not me throwing scripture at you. Essentially, it is the kindness of God. Mm. So I want to live that out. And back to your first question. That's why it's hard being self-aware and being aware of other people, because it can be hard to be kind when you know that you're being taken advantage of. True. But all the more reason to be kind. True, yeah. So there is, uh, we're going to tell your life story. What story from your childhood just has to be in this movie? Oh, that's good, dude. That's good. Woo! Funny or anything. Yeah, mate, it's one of those days. It's raining outside, so I'm particularly melancholic this morning. I'm actually in a really good spot in my life. Um, Now, is this what the weather would be like in Ireland? Oh, yeah, it'd be like, like I'm looking at it and it's drizzly and gray and... It's like, and I love it. I grew up in Seattle, so I'm at home right now. Did you yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we're like 
This is the kind of weather. Where did you get? Does your did your father speak like you with that that deep radio <laughs> voice? Seriously, I want to know that before I answer your question. Uh, uh, a little, not much though. Yeah, it's a fantastic yeah. gift. Oh, yeah, it is. I had nothing to do with it. Wow, that's a god thing. Yeah, your dad didn't sleep with this big booming deep like. Not not no. It's a uh, you know a nice voice, but it's not like yeah. I don't know. That's cool. You've got an A plus voice, right? <laughs> It's very manly. Here we go. Um, the story I would include, I always wanted to write this song and I haven't written it yet. And funny, I feel somewhat guilty because there's, there's a friend of mine called Steve Ford and Steve Ford runs a le- record label called Centricity. And um, we go for breakfast every few weeks. Mm-hmm. He's one of those friends in my life that I've never needed anything from him and he's never needed anything from me. So it's a very pure friendship. And I was telling him this story one day and he said, you need to write that for your next album. And I said, I will but I actually just realized I didn't, and I don't know why. It's too late now. It'll be for the one after. <laughs> it's a song called Dancing in the Kitchen. That's what I want to write the song. And it's the story that I would love to be if ever there was a movie made about my life and my wife's life. Growing up in a family where we didn't have lots of material things, you know, very blue-collar, working-class family. Mom and dad both worked 12-hour shifts every day. Fingers to the bone, and I mean fingers to the bone. I've seen the bone on my father's fingers, mm. right? Through being a lumberjack or working on farms. Same with my mother washing dishes. I've seen her hands bleed, you know, mm. from being a cook and a chef and a yeah. whatever. But I was never afraid. I never felt like we didn't have anything. Even though as I grew up, I realized that all these people around the corner had all this stuff. I've never loved stuff because I never needed it. Mm. Because I had love. But here's the thing. The bank used to try and take our house, right? My mom and dad worked so hard for this wee house first. And they would always send their bill or letter saying, we're going to repossess your house. That was the thing that gave me some fear as a child. Because, you know, you, you want a roof over your head. And I remember one day my dad took the letter from the bank, cursed at it a good few times. He's very Irish. I often say I'm in recovery for being Irish, all right? <laughs> Language can be a challenge. And uh, he ripped it up, threw it in the fire in the hearth that we had. And instead of getting all angsty and weird, he took my mom's hand, they walked into the kitchen, they put on Willie Nelson, and they just held each other and danced. Mm. And that's left me with this idea that everything eventually is gonna be okay. Mm. Because I grew up with parents who had stability. They worked hard, harder than any people I've ever seen, but they knew how to dance in the kitchen when the world was falling apart. That's beautiful. Yeah, wow. it'd be a good that. song, wouldn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. We could do the Vizio radio right here. <laughs> I'll give you that 5%. You're in Nashville. <laughs> so let's talk about some music. Yes, sir. Um, let's talk about Come What May. Mm. Talk Ooh. about that song. I was thinking about driving in today. And again, I don't want to get too deep in the rabbit hole. But with what's happened, and I'll say to our, because I'm a second son, I guess, here, to our Marines, to mm. our servicemen, to our Americans, to our Afghani helpers in Afghanistan. Mm. It's really been boring a hole in my soul somehow, and I'm not sure why, because I'm Irish. I should feel less involved, but I actually feel more involved. I just, I realize that we are standing on the shoulders of giants. The fact that you and I can talk about Jesus, we're standing on the shoulders of our servicemen, our Marines, our first responders. That's the truth. But in turn, they're standing on the shoulders of the freedom of God and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So we mourn with them. And I was thinking about that. When I wrote Come What May, I wanted to write a song that would say that no matter what circumstance arrives at our doorstep, that Jesus Christ is still the same. 
He's still on the throne. He's still in control. And it ties into the bridge idea that come what may, that there's still a rest for us. And in the bridge, it's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's a rest for our souls. And it always bugged me a wee bit. There's a scripture where in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, where Jesus says, come follow me, learn to walk on the unforced rhythms of my grace, and you will find rest for your weary soul. And I'm thinking before I came to Jesus, I heard all these promises of abundant life and joy and hope. Why is he talking about this weary soul? Mm. And what I've realized in the 13 years of following him, it is a weary thing. It can be weary. It can be incredibly joyful, but it can be very weary. And we're in a season of weariness in the world right now. That's just the truth. Mm-hmm. You know it. I know it. Yeah. So the truth is important, that the Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not want. He lays us down in green pastures, mm. and he restores our souls. And I wanted to write yeah. that song that would say, whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever's at your door, come what may, God isn't running away. He's still on your side. He'll never leave nor forsake you. And mm. there is a rest for your weary soul, even today. And for our men and women and their families, that's what I was praying in the shower this morning. I was praying for them and I was saying, God, would you give them rest for their mm. souls this morning? Amen. Because I need that, but yeah. others need it more than me today. Oh, the whole thing is heartbreaking. Mm. Senseless. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about image of God. <laughs> I guess I'm crying before talking about him. Yeah, image of God. Sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I really just don't like what I see, you know. Mm. I'm not just talking about the physical attributes. I wish I had long flowing hair. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not sing the rest of that song. Uh, but um, Like this is starting to sound familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, it's less about that. It's more about this idea that when we interact with human beings, we tend to judge them based upon the color of their skin or their social class, mm-hmm. or their standing in society, or their level of achievement, etc. And I wanted to write a song that would remind the outsider and the marginalized and the broken and the dirty that they too are crafted and formed in the image of God. We have a habit of placing people on pedestals, especially in the evangelical church. We have a habit of making heroes out of men mm-hmm. and out of women. The truth is there are no spiritual superiors in the kingdom of heaven, just sons and daughters, beggars that were outside who have been invited in to sit at the table of a king. And the only reason that is possible is because the line running from Genesis all the way through to Revelation reminds us that the same God who breathed into clay and into dust and gave life to us has made us in the image of God Mm. and we are being transformed we started the interview by me being frustrated saying I can't see so much of the progression right but progression can be a slow thing I know I'm a lot more like God now than I was then but as I remind my son every night the guy that's angry or frustrated or not kind he is nothing like Jesus he's a punk his name is Darren he sings in a band called we are messengers but the guy who laughs with you who hugs you who lifts you up when you fall. Mm. He's like Jesus. Be like him. Amen. You know, and it's yeah. a strange thing because I wish I had a better testimony. But I, my, one of my last prayers each night for my boys in particular is uh, may God make you a better man than me. You know, may, may my ceiling be your floor. Because I guess I have to wrestle with the baggage in my life and they don't have that yet. And may the Lord not give them it. May they never have to carry it. Oh, dang it. You're getting to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Talk about your relationship. What have you learned in your marriage that works or working better? And what's just not working at all? <laughs> That's an awful question. I know. <laughs> it, it would be a great question if I could give you the stock Christian artist answer. I don't want that. Some answer. nonsense from some seven-step self-help book. I could look at this as it's sort of selfish because I want my relationship <laughs> to be better. So Yeah. Oh, mate. Again, I can only go back to stories of the day. And the, one of the last things my wife said to me last night is she said, are we getting everything wrong? I feel like that for me is a, a nagging thought in the back of my mind because you're always wondering, am I a good enough parent? Mm. Am I messing this up? Mm. Am I messing my wife up? Am I, you know? <laughs> I think the answer <laughs> may be yes sometimes for me. Oh, I, oh no, yeah, know? I know I am, yeah. But it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think I've, I've got a better grasp on just saying, yeah, we probably are messing a lot of this up, but we're probably doing a lot of this right and we're mm -hmm. doing the best we can we really are i think if we weren't well you're not on the news so yeah well not yet <laughs> but <laughs> but if we're not but if we're not if we weren't doing the best we could right i would feel a lot worse because me and heidi have been together 21 years i think 21 years 20 congratulations years. that's awesome thank you yeah uh, the first seven or eight of those were rough but um we carry a lot of baggage from that and so I would say, I guess, to younger people maybe that are entering into a relationship and getting married and there's not a lot of baggage, be really, really thankful for that. Mm. But if you do have it, like deal with it as quick as you can because it actually never goes away. It's always there. It's just how you respond to it. So when my wife has to react to something stupid I've done, does she react to the man from 20 years ago or does she react to the man who's here is 41 years old? And so she gets to choose, will she see the best in me or the worst in me? And it's the same for me with her. I can choose to go back to points in her life. So I think uh, keep short accounts of people's wrongdoings. My wife is excellent at this. She will never go to bed without forgiving me or asking for forgiveness. Wow. If there's been a row, she, she takes that, don't let the sun set in your anger very seriously. I'm a bit more Irish, so I can hold a grudge for a wee while. Um, <laughs> But she's, uh, she's, she's taught me well in that. I'm proud of me and her because we could have given up in this marriage many, many times. Yeah. Many times. But you're still here. Still here. Yeah. And I think God's been the central. He's definitely been that third knot. He's what's kept us together many times. But also, I really think it's mercy and forgiveness at work in our lives. And it's back to what you said. This is, God, this is in my head. See, a lot of time we'll say, know your place as a bad thing. Like, we, we take that as a terrible thing. Don't you tell me what my place is. Right. You know, our, yeah. our pride rises up, but we both know our place, that we're sinners saved by the grace of God through mm. faith in Jesus, not through any works we have done in case we would start to boast. And that, and that way, no matter what we've done, we have a, a level playing field. And so we're partners and co-conspirators in doing the best we can with what time we have to change the world around us. I can see your yeah. eyes starting to watch. Ah, jeepers hard, dude. Like, I wish I could talk about silly things. Sometimes I wish I could just tell you funny stories. I'm actually relatively funny. Some of you all know me. Like, I'm good crack. But once you start talking about this, jeepers. Dude, there are people that just, like, get to me. And I think, it get, I think why I get emotional is when someone actually asks me a question out of thoughtfulness. Like, your questions are considered whether you know it or not, Michael. I appreciate the Michael... Only my wife and my mother call me. Michael. I'm sorry. I'm, 
I was, I was told to always call people by their full name, and I never do it. I would normally call you Mick or Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey. <laughs> but I think that may be too familiar. I don't know. I don't even know where I was going. But I, I will tell you what I do know. I appreciate the fact that when you ask me questions, you look at me. Mm. And you don't ask me, do I like Lucky Charms? That's a big bonus for me this morning. And no, that, I don't. Is that a typical <laughs> Irish question? Uh, some, like sometimes, just in my life, it can be very easy to be like, hey, what's, what do you like about America? I don't know. Lucky Charms. Corn dogs? Nah. <laughs> do you know, it's, I think it's important that we have fun, that we have the crack, as we call yeah. it in Ireland, yeah. But I think it's important sometimes that people look at people and say, how are you? You probably get this. And for just maybe for your listeners, you know, please don't forget that in all of this, we're human. One thing I've started telling crowds at our shows, and they're not quite sure how to take it. But I always tell them, listen, you think I'm something. I'm not quite what you think. And at some point, I will let you down. I'll let everybody down. But will you please go easy on me when I do? And one of the things I miss the most about just being a regular, you know, blue collar geezer working out in the field I miss people like walking up saying how are you mm-hmm. and meaning it um, so you've done that today it's, for me it, well thank you you know I think it's it's something we're not used to really answering it's a question that's more of a greeting Woo. that's good <laughs> you know it's not really do, do we really want to know how somebody's doing do no we, we don't I don't know that we do that's good what, no and, that's what we should yeah sorry yeah sorry for interjecting I'm partly right and partly wrong. When I say no, we don't, I don't think that's always true. Yeah. I think we're very selective with who we want to know. Because I think if we're honest, a lot of the time when we ask that question, we know how the other person is, is kind of doing. Right. And we're afraid that if they tell us, we're going to have to deal with it. Right, yeah. And then I think about Jesus again. I think about he's out healing all the people in this random city. And there's a line. It's massive. It's huge. It's all day long. And the disciples are saying, Jesus, you need to go get rest, bro. And Jesus is like, no. And the scriptures say that he did not leave until every single person had been healed of their affliction. Jesus took the time. And he didn't just take the time to heal them. He took the time to hold their hands, to be with them present. It's hard work, but it's a work worth doing. Because you're going to give of yourself yeah. to participate in something like that. It takes energy. It does. And if yeah. you truly do it, it is the most exhausting thing in the world, mm-hmm. but it is the most rewarding thing in the world. Amen. I'll come home from shows spent, like just done, nothing in the tank. And then I'll thank God that I am tired and I am empty. It, what a gift it is to be able to be with others. But the problem is, dang it, go back to marriage. What have I got left when I get home? Because if my wife doesn't get the best of me, it does any of it matter. And so to answer your question from three questions ago, I think what we're wrestling with is my wife getting the best of me, my kids getting the best of me. And what I'm wrestling with, and I'm getting a good handle on it, is being present when I'm at home. I'm I'm almost there. It's not easy to do. I struggle with that. This is what's so annoying in in our family is the first four words of whatever my wife says, I didn't hear it. It doesn't matter where we are, unless I'm sitting right in front of her and we're having a discussion. There's this stupid back and forth repeating each other. And then she's like, oh my gosh, you're asking me again. And I'm like, it's, it's not easy to be present. You're not yeah. your own. I can't remember how many times my wife has said, did you hear what I said? And I will lie and say, yes, I did. You're responding but I did like you did. <laughs> yeah. 
then you're in trouble. It's like, well, wait a second. But I think part of that's also we're fellas, right? And yep. we have this responsibility to try and take care of our families. You know this idea in America, I have to be very careful what I say, but there's this idea that men somehow are being too manly. We're being too much men, whatever this nonsense is. My wife, one of the things I love about her is that she appreciates that when I go to work, I go to work. And I work mm -hmm. hard because for me, one of my primary goals is to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. I want to honor her and honor my kids by making sure there is bread Amen. and meat on the table. Right. And that they are afforded choices to make sure they're educated, to make sure that my wife can be a, a homeschooling mother. So I would say to our ladies out there, you take it easy. Because what Christian men tend to do a lot of these days is be like trying to make everybody happy all the time. Mm. So we appeal to the lowest common denominator. I believe 100% in equity and fairness and all of that jazz. But the truth is the world is not fair nor equitable. Hence, Jesus was crucified and died for us. <laughs> but ladies, I would say, would you please like take it easy on your husbands? It's hard having, having the weight. And it's hard for our ladies too, for mm. sure, that are in... in stable married homes mm -hmm. and fellas like, go easy on your wives like i have this theory in my head that the world would be a lot better if we just go easy on each other amen absolutely you know extend grace extend yeah. grace I in agree. every circumstance so not yeah. just in the marital home but in every circumstance there's a time for being tough and being strong there is yep there's a time where we got to take care of widows and orphans where we got to stand up to injustice for sure but can we do that out of kindness and not out of arrogance or mm -hmm. pridefulness? I think that's where the men being too much men goes wrong. We do things out of being macho as opposed right. to doing things out of the strength of God, yep. which always lifts people out of places of hurt and shame to better places. Mm. That's good. I want to be that kind of man. So Darren, where are you finding joy right now? Yeah, I'm finding joy in the letting go. Like, it's strange because I know during the course of this interview, you've seen me tear up a few times. We talked about some heavy stuff. But I would say at 41 years old, I have more joy in my life than I've ever had mm. because I've learned to let go. I've learned to open up my hands and let God take things out of them and put things into them, whatever he chooses. And I've learned to be okay with that, even if it doesn't make sense to me. And I have realized that my value is not found in my achievements, but my identity truly is found in being the son of a really good father. And so I don't have to be afraid and I can be free because whom the son sets free is free indeed. Yeah, that's where my joy is at. Yeah, man, that's good. good. Thanks, bro. Cheers, lad. Thanks very much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. We would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can also find more exclusive content at myflr.org and FLR Mornings on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you support Family Life Radio, thank you.